Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. The very well-documented impact, full impact of COVID-19 on not just our lifestyles, but our business and industry is fairly well known. But the positives now coming out of this are also being fairly well known now. One is, of course, what Apple's announcement meant to the Research Triangle region of North Carolina. I am Chris William and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business, policy and public affairs seen each week across North and South Carolina for 30 years now. In a moment, we start this week's dialogue. What is going on? And later on, he is the CEO of the Research Triangle Park and the Research Triangle Foundation. Scott Levitan joins us again. Stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Dr. Joseph Von Nessen from the Darlamore School of Business, University of South Carolina. Vicki Lee Parker High from the North Carolina Business Council and special guest Scott Levitan, President and CEO of RTP and President of Research Triangle Foundation of North Carolina. Happy summer and welcome to our program. Vicki Lee, good to see you. Joey, welcome back. I hope you all are doing well. Um, Joey, I'm going to start with you. Um, unemployment, labor shortages, um, federal unemployment benefits, state unemployment benefits, this stew that we have around workers and around motivation has been very murky. Is it getting more clear? Are people going to come back in the workforce anytime soon? Well, there are a variety of reasons why people have been staying out of the workforce over the past year. One of the major reasons is that we've seen a federal supplement to unemployment benefits, which has, particularly in the service sector, uh, limited the incentive for people to come back. So in South Carolina, the cutoff there is about $16 an hour. So if you were earning less than $16 an hour before the pandemic, then it was financially more attractive for you to stay on unemployment than move back into the workforce up through the end of, of June when those federal benefits were, were rescinded in South Carolina. So that's going to help move people back into the labor force and the service sector. But beyond that, we've seen baby boomers retire at an accelerated rate over the last year. We still have a lot of parents staying home with, with children. That will uh, be uh, uh, that will change a bit in the fall as, as students go back to school in a more normal learning environment. So there are a variety of reasons why people are hesitant to go back to work. And, and that's creating this labor shortage, which is affecting all sectors. Vicki Lee, how do you weigh in on that? I, I know the humane part of you wants people to have what they need to have to survive. But as, as Joey just outlined, and, we, and we've heard, and you know because you're a representative, senior representative in business, this idea of, of giving people an income and not motivating them to go back to work has got to be a tough one. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It certainly is a challenge. And I have heard, you know, from businesses where where I've even heard a recent example of a business where they increased their wages and they offered more benefits. And even with doing that, they still it was still a challenge to get people to come back to work. And, and, and you know, as Joey mentioned, there are a number of reasons. One of the other things that we have noticed as well is that there has been a huge uptick in the number of new businesses created. So a, a, a good number of people have also taken this opportunity to launch their own businesses and strike out on their own. So that's also a, a factor in there as well, in addition to the childcare and people just retiring. I've heard of a lot of people who just simply said, I I'm going into semi-retirement. So there are a number of factors in play here. How punitive, Vicki Lee, how punitive has this, as you just described, that people are not taking the bait to go back to work? And that, of course, that's my, my, my term. How punitive has that been to businesses? How much frustration are you actually hearing? Well, I mean, to be honest, again, I, it is it is real. I uh, for the first time we list job listings on our website. And I have to say that in the last two months, this has been the longest list that I've ever had to upload. There are a lot of people, a lot of business owners looking for qualified workers. Uh, so it, it, I, I do think it is starting to present a challenge for them uh, in terms of being able to want to get back into the, you know, into mm -hmm. the economy and to start generating more profits for themselves and getting their products out and out on the main street. So it, it is really starting to, to, to take its toll for some businesses. I've, I've heard it often. I've heard mm -hmm. even an example of a business owner who was, you know, worried about taking vacation uh, because, you know, not having the employees that he, you know, had in the past and, and just being concerned about who's going to be there to run the shop while he's gone. So it's, it's very real. Jo Joey, in South Carolina, Governor McMaster already put a kibosh on the idea that federal uh, unemployment benefits were going to continue. He stopped it. Is there a cause and effect that's already being seen? Not that we can directly observe yet. That's probably going to take 30 to 60 days before we see any real meaningful data that, that, that show what's, what's happening. If we look in South Carolina, there are about 100,000 individuals who are affected by this legislation change. And so uh, we'll be tracking to see if that, if that makes a dent, particularly in the service sector. Um, but one other point I want to come back to um, looking at this labor shortage is part of this is actually just an exacerbation of what we were witnessing before the pandemic began, uh, because we had already seen a historically low unemployment rate, particularly in South Carolina, going into the pandemic in 2020. And so now that that demand is ramping back up to a certain extent, this is just an extension of what we were experiencing then. Because if you look at industries like construction and manufacturing, for example, that are paying about $30 an hour on average, uh, the ending of these, these federal benefits is not going to help them. They need more, more direction on long-run uh, long run changes with respect to workforce training, because that's really going to be the solution that, that they're going to be looking towards. Uh, Vicki Lee, uh, Joey just talked about the service sector, and of course, a sub-subsector of that is restaurants. Yes. What's going to happen to restaurants? You think restaurants will ever come back? Were we over-restauranted to begin with, and this is a somewhat a natural retrenchment of what restaurants look like? I guess I, in some ways, I guess that remains to be seen. Again, I can just think of a personal example where, again, my husband and I went out to dinner to one of our favorite restaurants to get out and we pulled up and it was online showing it was there and open and we pulled up and lights out. It was gone. Uh, and that has happened a couple of times. So, you know, again, 
you know, is it just going to create a natural balance? And at the same time, I have heard of, of a couple of restaurants opening. So, and so again, people are venturing. So I think in, it was going to, we have to wait to see how, if it's going to balance out. But right now it certainly is looking like they're, you know, the restaurants are taking a, a hit, even though I know that, you know, we've tried, we've put a lot of money into the restaurant revitalization program. Uh, millions of dollars went into that. Uh, we, I guess we have to wait and see if that was enough to help help those. But um, one of our business members, I, I called her up and, and she's she's closed. So um, it is again, it's taking its toll. There is a bright side, but there there are some people who, who really have took it, you know, took it really hard. Mm -hmm. Joey, is the seasonal return of summer travel and spending enough to save restaurants? I think it, it, it will be enough to, to restore the overall demand, yes. I think that restaurants are, are, are changing, as, as Vicki Lee has mentioned, and particularly when we look at, at customers and what their preferences are, and they're looking for to, when they're looking to spend and they're looking to go out to eat, part of it is just getting back to normal, being able to go out again. But over time, they're gonna be looking, particularly if prices rise over time, they're gonna be looking for an experience, whether that's a more of a, a service-related experience where maybe it's more different types of food, but something unique and different that uh, a lot of these new restaurants are, are looking to satisfy that, that, that demand. Because if, you're, if they're just looking more at a, uh, at a basic need of, we're looking to to go out to eat or or not to not to cook at home, for example, takeout works. And that's often cheaper and restaurants have adapted to that. So so what type of service can restaurants offer that's a value add that they may not have have, have offered before? There's a demand there. Consumers are spending. We're seeing the service sector and spending on services ramp up. Um, so we'll see how restaurants adapt to that new demand. We have, we have about a minute before we bring our guest in. Vicki Lee, you get the you get the last pitch, at least in the first part here. We've seen an emerging trend during this COVID recovery, if you will. And the, the trend is that big businesses now are investing in small businesses. That's good, right? Yes, yes. I mean, of course, we, you know, we're familiar with the government funding. However, there have been some large companies that have stepped up to plate. I mean, of course, we've heard about Facebook, and I think they've made over $100 million investment into credits for businesses, as, long, uh, as well as Google. Uh, they did over $340 million investment. Lowe's here in, in North Carolina donated $25 million. So they're not small sums. These are significant contributions there. Uh, American Express had a campaign to support small businesses. They literally gave you $5 if you spent more than $10 with any local small businesses. You Each uh, consumer got up to 10 uh, uh, transactions on that. So, and, and we're seeing bigger companies now target smaller companies for vending and their supply chain. They're looking more intently, uh, even looking more broadly at uh, historically underutilized businesses and Black-owned business and women-owned businesses. So, you know, there's a silver lining in, in this. this. It's been a trying time, but it has brought attention to the need and the value to interact and work with uh, smaller companies. So there's a lot of dollars out there. Joining us again, the president and chief executive officer of RTP, as well as the president of the Research Triangle Foundation of North Carolina. We are glad to have uh, the ever demure uh, Scott Levitan. Scott, nice to see you and welcome back. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Um, let's start with the, uh, gosh, the 900 pound gorilla, the Apple announcement that finally came through. First time they said no to North Carolina. Second time it was one of the largest economic development announcements in both states. Um, 
How is it still reverberating within RTP and places beyond? Well, they never said no. They said wait. So um, we, we waited. Um, it's been a terrific announcement. They have been very communicative. Um, one of there have been a model. It's been a model announcement because of the hundred million or so that they've committed to uh, support public education and another hundred million to invest in broadband around North Carolina. That's the kind of civic business leadership that we really need everywhere, not just in North Carolina. Well, and Scott, you know, you were uh, early on when you were on the program the last time, and I know you were brought in for the idea of convening this idea of what RTP is going to be going forward, you know, the next 60 or 70 years. This has got to give you some wind at your back when it means redefining what RTP is. Well, it does. You know, since um, the beginning of COVID, um, in a, including Apple, we've had uh, over 12 companies announced just in RTP, $4.5 billion of investment, over 5,000 jobs. Um, we've never had a period when RTP had that kind of investment and attraction. So uh, it, it is a new world. You know, I'd love to take credit for what happened, but I sit at my desk and eat chocolate. So, you know, I can't. So, uh, but it really is, it, this is a broad range of companies and businesses that are all involved in forward-facing technological research, development, business activities. Um, and, you know, they run the gamut in terms of a balanced uh, economy, we have fintech, I, you know, traditional IT like Google and Apple, ag tech, North Carolina and South Carolina have tremendous um, activity in ag tech. Um, it really is a broad basis for a future looking economy. Mm -hmm. Joey? Scott, if these high tech companies now have the opportunity to hire workers, not just locally, but from all over the US and, and all over the world because of the work from home environment in a post COVID economy. How does how is that impacting or how will that impact the strategy for hiring local and for making sure that these announcements are creating job opportunities for for the Carolinas and for North Carolina in particular. Well, every company that comes here, one of the first stops that they make when they're prospecting is not only the universities, but um, our technical colleges in Durham, Wake, and other counties. Um, that is a, we, we, are, we have exceptional, uh, Durham Tech and Wake Tech are really exceptional institutions in that they build relationships with companies and the, with the goal of up training or initial training for people so that they can get these jobs. I will say that, you know, using Apple as an example, they intend to hire almost exclusively locally. So they will be working with our tech, our, our tech colleges, with our universities to really make sure that the students who may have, well, student, people who live here can be up-trained um, or appropriately trained for the jobs that they're bringing or college graduates, you know, really want to stay in North Carolina and they feel like uh, this is the place where they can do it. Vicki Lee. Yeah, well, a couple of questions. I'm gonna start first with the with the pipeline because you mentioned you know 12 new announcements. Uh, 
recently. What is what's the pipeline looking like? I know there's still people knocking on the door. How does that? I, you don't have to give specific numbers, but how is that looking compared to you know previous years in terms of people now uh, looking at RTP? Yeah, well, if you talk to our partners at EDPNC, you know Chris Chung and his team, and uh, Michael Haley and Wake and uh, uh, Ryan Regan in, in Durham, it, it's accelerated over previous years. Um, the the biggest concern we hear from prospects thinking about our region is is there going to be enough talent to be able to accommodate um, you know the demand that another company coming into our region will play. It hasn't stopped anybody yet from making a decision to come to North Carolina. Um, let me follow up on something. You talk about all these new announcements. Thanks for bringing that up, Vicki V. But you also mentioned, Scott, earlier on in this dialogue that Google's going to Durham, obviously a lot of engineering jobs. So when you think about these announcements, you've got Apple in Morrisville, North Carolina, uh, Google now in Durham, You've got Cary, you've got Apex. So they're on the periphery of RTP. So is being in quote unquote RTP, is there a new definition for that now? Is it a virtual RTP? Yeah, so it, we're, a re, we're the triangle region. And however you define it, it's either the 7,000 acres of RTP, the three counties that we traditionally consider the triangle, but we also have to include the seven halo counties because as you know, there are huge facilities that are um, being located outside of the traditional three counties. So we're becoming a we're actually becoming a region, not just a donut with a hole in the middle of it, which is RTP. So you know, it does generate a lot of conversations about uh, business leadership triangle wide and helping the counties and DOT and school systems really and and affordable housing and, and accessible housing. You know, how do we sort of develop regional strategies for that that can be played from the top level of the region, but also work up through the counties where a lot of the funding for those initiatives comes from in the state. So um, we, our board um, has really challenged us to help figure out strategies to be a convener, not to make new regional organizations, because we certainly have enough of them, but to how can we use our resources to buttress and support existing organizations like Regional Transportation Alliance, Research, uh, Research Triangle Regional Partnership? What can we do either financially or staff-wise or convening business leaders to help them be more, more successful and to help us plan appropriately for you know, the, the doubling of the population in our region, which is anticipated over the next 20 years. Joey? So following up on this idea of a virtual knowledge economy, um, what are your thoughts on commercial real estate going forward and both short and long-term? Obviously that's a, a major challenge right now, but as we look ahead over the next decade, uh, do you have some perspective on where you see the knowledge economy fitting in businesses in that, in that space? How are they gonna use commercial property? How is that going to change? Yeah, that that's that's a big question, and I'm a dirt guide by training, and so it's dear to my heart. What we're what the tea leaves are saying from companies because we're building a we're building hub, which is a new town center for RTP, that the virtual work working at least partially virtually 
is probably embedded in our future in terms of space. Now, a lot, a number of companies that we speak with, so the, so that might, so the obvious response would be, oh, well, then everybody has all the space they need. And so we don't, we shouldn't be building commercial space. But the reality is that using hoteling and having people be able to stay within their workplace because there are decks and gardens that they don't have to check in and, you know, when they, when they come into work, um, that that might argue for a different kind of building typology, which will continue to drive development, commercial development. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're just coming out of COVID and, and we'll see whether those predictions uh, pan out, but those are the, that's the overarching message we're hearing that people will be needing different space, whether it's retrofitting existing buildings or designing new kinds of office space for companies. Well, Vicky Lee, let, let me just jump in here just quickly, just a quick follow up to that, Scott. I mean, you 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 almost have to have a town center now. Well, you do have to. I mean, it's do it or die if you don't build the hub and more of the hub. Is that is that fair to say? Well, look, Chris, we have bet the farm on hub. Okay, <laughs> hub is a one and a half billion dollar project um, just to get the sixty five million dollars of infrastructure done. Um, Durham County is contributing $20 million. Our companies, this is a real vote to support what you just said. Our companies voted to tax themselves for $10 million mm -hmm. and the foundation is putting in the rest of the money. So money talks and you know everyone sees that in order to be a competitive region, um, RTP needs to have that kind of mixed use town center. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Vicky. Sorry to interrupt. Please go ahead. Oh, yeah, no problem. I, I, my other, my final question is: I think going back to what Chris mentioned before, the ripple effect, and clearly having getting the big wins to Google and the Apple, that also draws the the more entrepreneurial spirit. So I guess my question: Are you also seeing more venture capitalists, or I mean investors, that are also coming to fill out that ecosystem? And, and are you seeing more investors? And can you talk a little bit about what that's shaping up for some of those smaller? Uh, uh, one of the one day Google companies. <laughs> yeah, so I wish we had an hour to talk about that because that's a really rich question. So thanks for asking it. Um, just to give some context, four, four, five years ago, we took 450,000 square foot of vacant space that had been leased to IBM that we owned. We converted it into something called the Frontier, which we deemed cheap and cheery space for my, people. My office space, I, oh, I, yeah. I work so, out of there quite a bit. So it's completely full. Um, and what's really interesting in terms of a data point is there are 310 companies in RTP and 110 of them are located in the frontier. They weren't even here, you know, four years ago. So what a terrific transformation in terms of the startup economy, because we all know that that's where the greatest job generation comes from and it provides opportunities all around. Um, and so VT, VC, just like virtual office working, VC are in our region and, and they, they are very much in touch with our entrepreneurs. The, the piece that we need to work on more is accessibility to venture capital is not equitable across race. In many, in many instances. Mm -hmm. And so we've partnered with NCIDEA on a program. Um, they're putting in a whole bunch of money and we're putting in a whole bunch more um, to support 
to be a grant-making VC entity for local MWBE companies so that, you know, we start to try to close the gap because um, that's really the way we're going to address diversity, equity, inclusion issues in our society all over. So we hope we can be an example and have some great successes. The reason why, you know, we joined up with NCID is that in their first round, they had such a talented pool that folks who didn't get the first grants, um, it was a shame because they were such capable companies and their business plans were so outstanding. So we went ahead and we're putting in over a million dollars over the next couple of years to partner with NCID on that program. So I appreciate the question, gave me a chance to tout something that we're really proud of and hopeful for. Uh, Scott, we have about a minute about a minute left, and I want to ask, this is a fairly large question, so um, we got to keep it short, and I know you'll probably be glad. Um, a legacy partner for RTP was IBM, is IBM, very, still very important. Um, there was a surprise announcement just before the Ju July 4th weekend that Jim Whitehurst, who was deemed the heir apparent after the uh, Red Hat acquisition and merger, has left the firm. There's some question about whether it was his idea or IBM's idea, and that's still uh, playing out to some degree, I guess. Um, were you surprised that Whitehurst is now not part of IBM? And what does that mean for IBM long-term? We have about 45 seconds. So I'm glad I don't have a lot of time because it <laughs> yeah, was a surprise and we will have to watch how IBM's new core plays out. Um, they, they have been a very important partner in, in RTP. We and we love the fact that Red Hat is working with them um, in RTP as IBM sort of redefines its business model. So I, I can't prognosticate the effect on it, but um, it's too bad that a North Carolina leader of IBM is no longer the president of the company. Yeah, and I understand. Thank you. Uh, good answer. We're out, we're out of time. And I understand that the company is not any one person. That was just a surprise announcement. Scott, nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank Come back you. again. Vicki Lee, always nice to see you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Uh, Dr. Van Nessen, always good. Glad you're healthy and, and good to see you from uh, USC. Hope you have Thank a good Thank you, week. Chris. Likewise. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, uh, if you have any questions. Thank you, guys. Uh, questions or comments, go to our website. Until next week, have a good weekend. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, the Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.